you want to, please turn to me, uh, turn with me, turn to me and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. In your pew Bibles, it's page 1005. A short passage that should remind us that just because something is brief doesn't mean it cannot be life-changing. This is a word some of you have had for me for some of my sermons. <clears throat> Verses 21 to 25. Listen to God's word. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? And then it takes a twist. An unexpected word from Jesus, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more so. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what, they will, even what they have will be taken from them. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of years ago, Betsy gave me an extravagant gift, a week with one of the best Windsor chairmakers in the United States, and he lives in Hillsborough, of all places. I had no experience in chair making, but I was intrigued by the project. I loved the lines of a Windsor chair, and this project was to be accomplished using only hand tools. The first day of class began, a walk, began with a walk to the woodpile, where there were five red oak stumps sitting in the grass. I held in one hand a fro, and in the other hand a mallet tools I had never used before, and I didn't even know what you were supposed to call this one, this fro. And I looked at the stump. You know, the great uh, Renaissance sculptor, Michelangelo, was said to be able to see what a block of marble wanted to become. I looked at the stump, and I asked myself, what do you see? Do you see a beautiful Windsor chair? Mm, not so much. I think I see a stack of firewood. <laughs> Two pretty different visions. What do you see? That's the question that Jesus is posing to his disciples, to curious onlookers, and he continues to pose it even to those of us who have been walking as Christians for decades. What do you see? In these early chapters of Mark, that's the question. As folks were trying to understand this unique man. After all, just when people think that they've got him figured out, he says, not so fast. The old categories will not work. Remember when he said, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin. We should hear in that a caution 
before we think that we've got him figured out. And people said, oh, he's a healer. Well, no, not so much. Because why would he foolishly tell folks who had just been healed not to talk about it if healing was his primary gig? That's not the whole story, says Jesus. Or perhaps others would insist, well, he's a teacher, and that's the way we should understand. He's telling us how to live, how to love. But Jesus seems to insist that the teachers that they most respected got things really wrong. And if he was primarily to be understood as a teacher, why did he say, I speak in parables so that you do not understand? I mean, I had an algebra teacher who was a champ at being impossible to understand. But I don't think he was intentionally trying to mess with me. So, not a teacher. How about a political leader who will finally get rid of the Romans? No, no, not that either. In fact, Jesus has insisted that he doesn't fit the categories. And he also hints that there are things going on through him that will not yet be made known and understood. Not yet. But he's going to keep on asking his disciples and those who are curious, what do you see? You'd better look and listen carefully because I don't fit your categories. But the good news is that through Jesus, God is on the move. And Jesus is the one who will, if you have the patience and trust, if you will follow along, Jesus is the one who will light the way. He will, he will help you to see what you could not otherwise see. So here in 421, Jesus says, nobody buys a lamp. And here he has in mind just a little simple clay lamp that was very typical of every household. Nobody buys a lamp just to cover it over with a big orange Home Depot bucket. <laughs> you put it on a stand. That's the only way you can see the room. Now, in the Old Testament, the lamp can serve as a metaphor for God or for the expected Messiah. Here, Jesus is saying, I am that lamp. And he goes further. In an unexpected twist, he says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever was concealed is intended all along to be brought out into the open, into the light, into my light. I hope you can follow me here. Because what I would like to do in the next 10 minutes is turn your world upside down. It's a big ask. This past Easter, I had a realization. You know the familiar story of the disciples following the crucifixion of Jesus, how they were gathered in that upper room, locked doors, because they were so afraid that what had happened to Jesus was about to happen to them. But suddenly, Jesus stood among them. And from my earliest days of exposure to this story, I thought, wow, so Jesus is kind of like a ghost. He's recognizable, but he's got some sort of super spiritual kind of form. 
And I would picture the scene imagining Jesus as if he were kind of a ghost in a scary movie who had made himself into smoke or cloud. And you know how they picture these scenes in the films, sliding under the door or coming through a wall. The music usually changes right about then too. And he could do this because he was less substantial. I was wrong. I think the truth is exactly the opposite. Jesus is the substantial one. So real that the locked door or the solid wall seems insubstantial by comparison to him. In the same way that water cannot withstand or uphold a rock or the way that air cannot stop a bullet. So what does this have to do with Jesus and the lamp and that which was hidden? Jesus and Paul and all the writers of the New Testament understand the world in just the way that I have described. Jesus says, you can't fit me into the old categories because the old categories have things backwards. The kingdom of God is what is real. It always has been and always will be what it is. But it must be revealed to us because in our brokenness, it is not available to the bare exercise of our reason. We won't realize it as the result of some forward movement, some evolutionary development on our part, what we call somewhat oddly progress. We are not co-creators with God of the new heaven and the new earth. No, the kingdom of God is already given. It cannot change. It is the reality that only comes to us by revelation. What is hidden, Jesus says, is meant to be disclosed. What is concealed is meant to be brought into the open. That's how Jesus understood his mission, his work. That's what Paul means when he says in Ephesians 3 and elsewhere that God's wisdom is being revealed. And that's why Paul can say, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Because there is a, a parallel world, if you will, that is entered only through Jesus Christ. These heavenly realms that already exists in full, that is only now breaking into our world in a way that we can see it and understand it. This is why Paul asks the Colossians to pray for him, that God might open a door for our message, that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. Some of us have been reading Lewis's great divorce together, I know, Another C.S. Lewis reference. You only have one more week with me to listen to my Lewis references. But the fact is, Lewis gets this right. The world, the real world, the world as God has it, won't be manipulated. It will not accommodate itself to us. It is a given thing in the universe to which we must be accommodated or else we cannot enter it. 
The marvel of the great divorce is that it so imaginatively and winsomely describes this mystery that is otherwise so difficult for us to imagine. The apple, for example, in Lewis's vision, weighs too much for us insubstantial beings even to lift, much less put in our pockets and carry around with us. The grass under our insubstantial feet feels too sharp to walk upon until we have developed those calluses that enable us to, as we accommodate ourselves to the reality of heaven. And there is no room in that world for anything, not pride, not self-pity, not grief, not lust or the other things that Goody mentioned in her opening this morning, nor any crime. There is nothing that will not be surrendered so that it might be transformed and made ready for life in the real world. If you're still with me, that's why Jesus says here and so often, if you have ears to hear, hear. It's not a sure bet that you have ears to hear. You need to listen because what he is saying is so different from the the things that we assume to be true about everyday life. That's why Jesus speaks in parables, not because he's trying to hide his meaning from people, but it's a pedagogy, it's a teaching tool, it's an approach that he uses because the possibility of the kingdom enters our hearts and minds through the side door, not full frontal. It enters through the side door as as the image of a parable works its way down past our rational defenses. And the degree to which you have eyes to see and ears to hear the parable, the extent to which one allows the reality of the kingdom of God to come crashing onto the rocks of our own souls, that's what will determine your willingness to risk the possibility that this is true and worthy of your life. Here's the truth of things. The mystery of the kingdom only opens and unfolds to those who are willing to follow before they fully understand, to obey before they can discern the beauty of this particular Jesus way of life. That's why Jesus can say, whoever has been given will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken. What he means is that with every step into the kingdom, you will find it more compelling and you will become more willing to keep going. What you couldn't see before you begin to grasp and it begins to draw you in. Or if you refuse the invitation, your path will only take you further into the deepening shadows cast by your own refusal until you can no longer in your diminishing capacity imagine any other kind of life than the hell that is already yours.
and because the stakes are so high, the urgency is great. There is no first let me go buy my field. There is no first let me get married, first let me go bury my father. Those extraordinary words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. Because every step we take to delay or every step we take in the wrong direction just makes the path to self-destruction seem more natural and more familiar. Every step in the wrong direction is just one more step that needs to be retraced. The journey home made longer, more difficult, and less imaginable. Because we tend to continue in the direction that we're headed. And as Screwtape knows, human beings turn into what we pretend we are. Jesus knows that too. And better than Screwtape. He is the revelation of that hidden world into which we are invited. When he looks at you, And you ask him, holding your breath, what do you see in me? You simply would not believe his answer. So glorious is the life that he sees for you. There is another world. A world, says Jesus, that is breaking into this one. But you have to look, and you have to listen, and you have to be courageous to step onto a path without a map, but only one to follow. And the question to each one of you is, what do you see in him? And drop by sometime and settle into my beautiful Windsor chair. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you have borne with us so patiently as we continue to wrestle with the possibility that there is a world beyond our imagining even that is the truest, the best, the most beautiful, that is entirely open to us. Give us the courage to take you at your word, to step out in trust onto that path where you have promised to lead. In Christ's name, amen.